Hey, I'm Robert Pearson, and this is Follow the Leader. And we are doing, I'm trying to get my jacket away from the mic. And we are doing another Blue Collar Bible Scholar installment, the goal of which is to make plain the deeper things of God, because it, it really is simple, guys. It's not, it's not hard. It's not rocket surgery. It is a little complicated. Uh, there is a fair amount of things to try and wrap your head around and to pay attention to. Uh, but it's it's not it's not a brain bender. It's just a lot of simple stuff. It's a lot of different things that are all quite simple each on their own, but they, they add up all together. And so by taking little bite sized chunks, by getting by having a good mental map, a good overview and picture of the conversation that's being had or the, the larger picture of the idea you're trying to break down, then it, it, they're like floaties when you jump into the deep ocean of uh, theological writings. Uh, you can kind of rely on that to keep you afloat, to go, all right, we're still talking about, you know, whatever your, your bigger picture is. So it's, it's, not, it's not too complicated or esoteric, even though people try and make it complicated and esoteric, because it makes them feel better. So... Today, we are going into uh, commentaries, study Bibles, encyclopedias, dictionaries, lexicons, and stuff. I'm going to do a, just a quick overview of what each of those things are and how I see them being used the best. Uh, I'm going to focus primarily on commentaries and study Bibles because that's sort of the entry level to um, extra biblical writings and scholarly stuff. Extra biblical means just more than the Bible. Uh, whenever you're going to read something other than the Bible to learn about Christianity, you want to keep your head on right to remember this is not the Bible. It's not an authority. It's a, simply a really smart guy who's done a lot of work, and these are his thoughts and opinions. And you need to remember that. So they are pretty good thoughts and opinions, but they are still just thoughts and opinions. Don't, don't get flipped. you gotta got to keep these things straight. That they are they are simply thoughts and, and opinions and not uh, authoritative outside of the fact that he's a really smart guy and he's done a lot of homework so you know maybe maybe he knows what's up but uh, don't don't stress over it too much and there's a, there's a lot so just don't be overwhelmed just know that there's a, a lot of people who have written quite a bit about uh, the Bible I mean it's a uh, probably the most important book in the history of the planet, and it's been around for going on 3,000 years, I would argue. So a lot of people have written a lot of intelligent things about it. A lot of people have written some dumb things, a lot of things, a lot of people have written some things that amount to little more than really, really old fan fiction. So it's important to keep all of these things kind of in mind as, as you're uh, going through Bible stuff. All right. After a lot of rambling, let's get to it. Commentaries. The most, the thing you're going to run into the most, probably, as you're looking at, into uh, biblical questions and things, yeah, is Bible commentaries. Or this, this commentary says this, or this one um, commentary author does this, or a smart guy wrote a commentary about whatever. Uh, so commentaries are books. Uh, or a series of books 
that are written by an expert of some kind, uh, whether he's just a pastor who's been a pastor for, you know, 35, 40 years or something, or it's uh, a professor at a Bible college, or even some really prominent thinker from, from way back in the day. For instance, John Calvin has a uh, uh, Bible commentary. Uh, he didn't get the whole Bible out, but he got quite a bit of it done before he uh, kicked the bucket. And it's, it's pretty good. You've got to remember where he's coming from. So if you don't agree with Calvinist theology, you just got to keep in your mind that he's, whenever you get to passages about, uh, you know, um, unconditional election or uh, limited atonement and the, all those, the, the whole tulip of fun. If you don't know what that is, just Google Calvinism tulip and uh, you'll figure it out pretty quick. The, uh, it's T-U-L-I-P, just like the flower, uh, but it's an acronym for the five points of Calvinist theology, which are a counterpoint to Arminian theology, which is literally the exact opposite of those five points. It's, this is the, uh, kind of the getting your feet wet in theology stuff, so it's probably the first um, theological thing that I'll hit on. I'll try to every week do one on a, a book of the Bible, one on some theological nuance point, just giving you a overall study grip, um, kind of getting your, your head wrapped around a, a theological thing, maybe it's a word, maybe it's a, um, a systemic ideology somewhere, or, uh, and then um, just like some Greek and Hebrew stuff eventually rolling into just keeping it simple, you know, the top 100 vocabulary words, or just the alphabet, real, real easy, simple stuff that anyone can understand, but just, you don't have time to go to Bible college, I understand. So it's a little expensive. And it's very time-consuming, so if you have any responsibilities, that's out. So, uh, commentaries are generally written by experts, pastors, scholars, somebody from uh, way back in the past or in uh, modern times. A lot of them are written by pastors who are really good scholars and have been pastors for a long time. Uh, but on that continuum, if it's somebody who's more of a pastor, who's kind of a, a really solid scholar... As you read it, it's going to be a lot more application of what this verse means for our lives and less about, well, this ancient archaeological find informs this Bible verse in XYZ way, or this word is also used in other extant manuscripts to mean, you know, you'll, from a guy who's a scholar, obviously you're going to get more towards the nuanced, uh, finicky side of things. So you have to know what you're getting into when you look into a commentary is who wrote it. And what is that guy's background? Uh, where does where is that guy coming from on the uh, the scholarship side of things? Where's where is he at in his head as he's he's doing this stuff? Uh, and so then from there, what the book is is this person has systematically gone through either a book of the Bible or every book of the Bible or uh, a few books of the Bible. They've gone through and verse by verse, or passage by passage, or chapter by chapter, and they expound on the meaning of the biblical text. Now, like I said earlier, just giving their best guess as to what it means, their sweet opinion on how um, you know how this scripture either helps our lives or you know how it relates to the Bible as a whole. Oh, this guy named here also shows up in another passage. And it's, uh, it's, commentaries are a good place to start. Once you've read a scripture passage a lot, and you, you feel as though you really understand it, and you, um, 
you feel like you have a mastery of it, you know, you're reading, you know what the Bible passage says, you feel like you really understand it, then we want to start peeling back the next layer of, you know, maybe what's some archaeological finds that could inform this. Or, you know, maybe there are archaeological finds that they found because they looked for clues in this text. That happens sometimes. Uh, so, when you want to make that next level, you know, where else in the Bible does this topic come up? You know, maybe not just these specific words are used, but maybe different words are used to talk about the same idea that a commentary helps you um, get your, your, dip your feet in the water. It's the, the first level to start at. And uh, they, they'll focus on any number of areas, whether it's uh, historical background to the passage, um, archaeological finds that relate to the passage, uh, any theological, like some big theological consequences of this particular passage. Um, you know, if it is a passage about original sin, the author's going to have a lot to write. If he agrees with original sin, he's going to put his defense of original sin right there in uh, Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 1. He's going to, you know, preach on it. Or if he doesn't agree with the doctrine of original sin, or, you know, maybe he has some nuance to how he believes about the doctrine of original sin. That's, he's going to get on his soapbox around those passages that uh, inform that, that doctrine. So there, there'll be a theological element to what they're doing. And then, of course, exegesis, um, which is a fancy word for just from the, from the text when you're, um, when you're reading about how do I apply this, so what. It's the, the so what element. Uh, so what, Jesus died on the cross, or so what, Joseph was elevated, why do I care? Oh, well, God blessed him for, you know, putting his nose to the grindstone and doing what he was told and being an honorable man. Oh, well, that's something I can kind of pull out. So they'll, they'll have those elements as you, as you read. Every, any good commentary is going to touch on at least or most of those in every passage they come to. They'll at least have a sentence or two that shoots off in each direction. Even if they don't go into it, they'll at least acknowledge, oh yeah, this verse references XYZ. Or, you know, talks a lot about, or can also refer to, then they'll, they'll give you something else that it, it talks about. Then, uh, so that's, that's basically all the commentary is, is it's that for every verse in the Bible. Then, uh, study Bibles are like commentaries, but backwards. See, a commentary is a book that has a lot of Bible verses in it, but the whole point of the commentary is to show you, here's the commentary, and then they give the verse for reference. So they'll have the scripture up there real quick, and then just a lot of expounding information. A study Bible is kind of the same thing, but flipped around. It's a Bible first, and then you have what amounts to basically a commentary but in smaller text, and it'll be a lot briefer, and usually they put it at the bottom of the page. Uh, they'll take like the bottom, almost third of the page sometimes. And they'll have uh, notes, but only about key text. So you'll be looking at a page, and on that page there may be five verses that have a lot of information that, that uh, is, uh, five verses maybe on that page they'll pick to, to expound on. And so you go down to the bottom, and it'll have little uh, corresponding verse numbers for that one page. And it'll be the same thing you would find in a Bible commentary, basically. Uh, it's, you know, maybe it'll be a different format slightly. Uh, sometimes they'll have uh, appendices. There'll, there'll be an appendix 
in the back of a study Bible where they'll put all the archaeological information together there, or all the manuscript information there, or all the historical information. A lot of times, historical information will be separated by book, so they'll just throw it up front for, the, for that book. They'll put all the historical information up front at the start of that, that, uh, that book of the Bible. And it'll be, oh, this, this book uh, has this history to it, and these passages uh, inform other historical events, or these people are important in other books of the Bible because... And they'll put all that at the start of a book, so you'll have to go sometimes if you want a, a specific passage you're digging up in a study Bible. If you want historical background for that one passage, you'll have to go to the start of that book, and there'll be all the historical notes there. Um, typically, they'll be less in the weeds on theological things, and they'll focus more on... Uh, on the uh, so usually they'll focus more on history and uh, some some life application stuff. In fact, one of them is called Life Application Bible. the The Life Application Bible is uh, a study Bible, and it's um, it's it focuses a lot on the so what aspect. And then to that, they add some archaeological and some historical things as it informs the meaning. Of that of that passage, as it gives you more useful information on the so what, they'll they'll add some historical notes and things. Now, in all of this, it is important to remember your author is going to be biased. It's it's a smart guy's opinions about the Bible, and they have already formed some of those opinions before they started telling you about that passage, and even right down to their vocabulary choice. It can be really sneaky if you don't know it's there. So just keeping it in the back of your head that this guy has an angle he might be working on, even if it's not intentional for them. Um, so it's, it's just important to know. If you're not a Calvinist, you see Calvinism everywhere. And if you are a Calvinist, you go, oh, that's just good scholarship. And so it's, it's, it's just where you are personally. Just know that it's out there. Don't be freaking out about every single grammatical nuance of the way a word is formed. Just, just keep in the back of your head that this author... Uh, might have, have a little bit of an agenda for why he spends more time explaining X, Y, Z or something. Uh, but it's, it's important to remember all the, the little details will often have a, a slant to them, if ever so slight. Now, study Bibles do this a lot more noticeably. They'll have a, a larger bias because they're trying to condense and generalize more information than the commentaries. The commentary, he's got a lot of time to expound and show you all the details and how they work together. Whereas a study Bible, things have to be brief and they have to be to the point. And when you condense things, you have to take your ideas and generalize them. And it's in that getting from the raw information of the Bible to generalizing those ideas, that's where the, the bias kind of happens, is the way you, you see scriptures and the vocabulary you choose to articulate what that scripture is about will be informed by your personal theology. Um, once again, it's just something to be aware of. Uh, it's not not the end of the world, and you know, as long as you're not reading heretical authors, yeah, you'd be all right. But just to to keep that in the back of your head, though, study Bibles. There's going to be a more prevalent theological bias than in commentaries. Commentaries tend to be a little more on the scholarly spectrum, uh, the scholarly side of the spectrum for those sorts of things. And um, because of that, too. Study Bibles tend to be a little less scholarly as far as the quality of information 
uh, than uh, commentaries. Now, that doesn't have to do with old and new all the times also. Newer stuff is not necessarily better. Remember, this book has been around for 3,000 years since Moses started writing it. It's, it's got a long history, and you'll find a lot of the works are still relevant today. That's why I think John Calvin's commentary is a good Bible commentary. You just you know his bias, you know where he's coming from, and you can read through it, and like a lot of the historical stuff, um, the only thing where he's lacking is on some of the archaeological finds uh, we have now informs the vocabulary better. So it used to be authors would bicker or wax eloquent about what a particular word meant because they, they couldn't find that word in any other context um, in the New Testament or outside of the New Testament. Um, in the case of, oh, the word escapes me now. It's the word for, well, one of them is tetrarch. In uh, Acts, when Luke is talking about Paul in Thessalonica, he refers to tetrarchs. And uh, it's uh, the, the scholars for the longest time, uh, secular scholars, ridiculed the Bible. Luke is a fraud. Acts is a fraud. Because this word doesn't appear anywhere else in Greek. It's a made-up word. And lo and behold, uh, I, think, I feel like it was in the 60s. I, I forget exactly. You can look it up. But they're digging up Thessalonica, and they find an arch that has the word tetrarchs, and it lists a bunch of names next to people that ruled the city called tetrarchs. Ta-da! Uh, but if you look at older commentaries on that portion of Acts, they'll sit there and have this argument about tetrarchs and why they think Paul is right and the secular scholars are wrong or vice versa. Um, over that word, that's an obsolete conversation now because of some newer findings. Uh, so that, that kind of stuff is... Um, outside of that, though, the, the Bible's the Bible, and it's always been the Bible. So for the theological ramifications of a certain verse, or how a lot of these ideas come together to what it means for your life, it's, it's the, the same old conversation. And you'll find modern scholars and secular scholars will have the, the same opinions or different opinions. And uh, a lot of times, if you read multiple commentaries, they'll almost be talking to each other through the years, because the Bible is so timeless. Like I said, some minor vocabulary here and there. There's another in uh, Hebrews 11.1. 1, uh, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And uh, I think it's the, the, the word for evidence in evidence of things not seen. It might be the one for substance, but it's, it's the word for this thing that we have that we can't find. It's, it's one of those two words in that passage. We didn't know what it meant for the longest time. No idea. And then they found, uh, I think it was the find at Oxyrhynchus papyri in uh, Egypt in the, the, the 40s or 50s. They, uh, they found the word. They, they had no idea. They couldn't find it anywhere else used. And they find it on a deed for land. It was the, the word for titles. Is this me? Can I go forward? I think so. The traffic around here is weird. I think I'm good. So the, it was a for titles, for land. The word meant title. So your faith is your deed to get into heaven. It's the, the proof of the thing that you don't see or you don't have yet, but it's proof that you own it. That was some fun nuance you get. So scholars bickered for the longest time over what the nuance of that word meant because they had nothing to go on. They had just the surrounding context and their best guess. So Hebrews 11.1, 1, if you look at older commentaries before 
that archaeological find came to light or was popularized, and you'll see authors waste a lot of words bickering about what that might mean. Um, <clears throat> so these are just things to be aware of as you look in older commentaries, older study Bibles. Uh, it'll show up. Uh, do, 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 do. So yeah, uh, study Bibles are basically short, abbreviated commentaries, and the Bible is first, and the commentary kind of uh, supplements it as you read your Bible. Whereas the commentaries, it puts the commentary foremost, and the Bible is second. You're not reading a commentary to read the Bible, you're reading a commentary because you want to know what this guy thinks about the Bible. So it's the commentaries up front, and the Bible's there, so you can reference what this guy's talking about in Scripture. Where is he at? You know, what psalm is he reading right now to have these opinions and ideas? Uh, now, the other category is uh, encyclopedias and dictionaries. And, uh, and lexicons, to a, to a lesser extent. Encyclopedias are exactly what you would have anywhere else for an encyclopedia. Uh, it's a small, it's a collection of small, kind of one paragraph to sometimes a whole page of an explanation about a word, idea, concept, uh, theological idea, maybe a prominent vocabulary word that gets used over and over again in the Bible. Um, encyclopedias will also include things about people, places, uh, cities, you know, different cities and countries. It's a good place to dig up information about archaeological finds, uh, just the same stuff you learned in grade school about researching, right? When you, your, your encyclopedia is where you start to get a general idea of this. So if you want to know about ancient Babylon, look up a Bible encyclopedia, Babylon, and read what it has to say about Babylon, and then follow some of those footnotes, the same way you use Wikipedia now, right? Uh, Wikipedia, oddly enough, is a really good Bible encyclopedia. Uh, the scholarship is 100% liberal scholarship. Uh, they don't accept any phrasing that might imply the Bible is inspired or accurate or anything. And so it's important to just keep that in the back of your head as you're reading Wikipedia, that it's, it's going to be aggressively liberal, but it gets you, it's a good place to go for a, a well-articulated overview. Uh, it is going to come from the place of higher criticism and uh, uh, secular humanist scholarship on the Bible, which I, I think is almost entirely nonsense, but they, as far as laying out the different views and some of the archaeological finds and stuff, that's where things will be on point. The dating of those finds get a little questionable because they'll base those dates on their second secular humanist scholarship, uh, or they'll bias the scholarship in a way that makes the Bible less accurate or at a later date. Uh, because you sometimes it's a coin toss when you're making your best guess about this ancient stuff. And they, al they will always err on the side that makes the Bible uh, more recently written and less historically accurate. It's, it's just how they roll. Um, and then dictionaries are, there'll be more uh, precise definitions, but some biblical dictionaries will basically be an encyclopedia. That's why I lumped them together. Is they'll, they'll sit there and give you almost a full article sometimes on some uh, biblical Bible dictionaries. When you look up a specific person or a theological concept, they'll wax eloquent sometimes about some of these different things. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, so yeah, it's, if you're if you're interested in historical information, archaeological information, or other um, other historical documents written at the same time, or you know contemporaries of the Bible or right after it, that's that's where you're going to find a lot of good starting information about encyclopedias and dictionaries. And it's mostly factual, mostly uh, factual scholarship. 
it is important to remember though, they're written by humans and humans have agendas. Human have opinions. Uh, opinions are like butts. Everybody's got one and they all stink. So it's just to keep that in the back of your head when you are reading the encyclopedia. Never assume any encyclopedia or dictionary or lexicon is 100% objective because they almost never are. Now, as you're coming out, lexicons are the same thing but for words. So a lexicon is specifically a document that, or a book, where you look up what individual Greek and Hebrew words mean in the Bible. So what you'll do is you'll pair it with a concordance. A concordance, so this is old school. If, you, if you're doing this in paper, God bless you, because now it's two clicks on a computer. Uh, but if you have an old Strong's concordance is the, the mainstay, the, the standard. Uh, a lot of the older ones will be based on the Texas Receptus. Do it that way you will. The, the, uh, the Strong's Concordance gives you where, uh, what each verse, each word in each verse of the Bible, uh, what the Greek, it gives you the corresponding Greek word or Hebrew word for that. So you'd look up the verse and it would give you a Strong's number for each word of that verse. And then you would go to your lexicon and look that number up in the lexicon, and it would give you the dictionary form of that. So, like, the, the dictionary uh, form of every word is the infinitive in English. So, if I'm looking up car, or if I'm looking up, like, uh, verbs running, so for verbs anyway, if I'm looking up running, I, I'm not going to look up running in the dictionary, I'm going to look up to run. Run will be what's in the dictionary. And it's the same way in Greek and Hebrew, they have a certain verb conjugation that's there, always verb congregate, congre, uh, conjugation. So for Hebrew, it's the cal stem, and for Greek, it's the uh, first person, singular, uh, continuing action, accusative, active indicative, first person, active indicative, uh, singular, active indicative um, of, of the verb. That's all that means is it's, it's hard to keep track of if you don't know Greek. Strong's makes it accessible because it's just a four-digit number. So you don't have to know the Greek and active indicative and how is the word spelled. Nah, you just look at the Strong's number. It's a four-digit number. Then you look up that number in the, uh, your Thayer's Greek, your Jacinius, uh, yeah, Thayer's Greek or Jacinius's Hebrew, and you're cooking with gas. I'm so mad I lost my Strong's concordance. I still got the paper uh, Hebrew and Greek. So that's what, that's what the Strong's numbers are when you're looking at your Hebrew and Greek on like Blue Letter Bible and stuff or Bibles, uh, Bible Gateway, not Bible Gateway, Bible Hub. Bible Hub's another good um, thing. I'll, I'll throw some of the resources down below. I'm going to do a whole episode on just um, online resources, what they're good for, what each of them are good for, and how to use them best as it is. Uh, so I'll, I'll get there, but Bible Hub is a good one to, uh, to keep, keep a lookout for. Bible Gateway is a good one, too. Or, uh, Bible Gateway doesn't have original language studies that I've found. And, um, but Bible, Blue Letter Bible, so much Bible stuff. BlueLetterBible.org is the one that I like to use. You start with the text. Uh, Bible Hub is another one that shows up. It's a little weird to navigate and takes forever to load. I don't know how they how they do their site, but it's really slow, at least for me when I use it. Um, but anyway, you'll come across Strong's numbers quite a bit when you're doing just basic Google searches for original, you know, Greek word for X. 
And so now the next up, we're going to go through um, the different items for in each of those. So obviously I mentioned Thayer's Greek, Jacinius's Hebrew, and the uh, Strong's Concordance. For your lexicons, those are the staple uh, mainstays, entry-level standards. Obviously for the higher-level stuff, you have you know Brown Drivers, Biggs, and uh, some of the others. I don't remember the names of them off the top of my head. It's Brown, Brown Driver, Biggs, Briggs. Um, all... So once you get past the uh, Strong's Concordance, Thayer's Greek, this is Hebrew, they're fairly conservative scholarship, Thayer's Greek and uh, Justinius' Hebrew. Once you get out to the more modern scholarship, like uh, Brown, Driver, and Biggs, which is Hebrew, um, for, the, for the Hebrew, it gets... It gets really, really liberal really quickly and stops being as conservative. So then you have to start filtering liberal bias as you're reading your, uh, your concordance about what these words mean. So basically, any time they start saying things more than, um, you know, these words are also used in these other verses, once they get beyond that scope, it's a, it's a coin toss as to how good the scholarship is going to be. Usually it's pretty liberal uh, for whenever they have to get to an application itself. So going back to com Bible commentaries, any cursory Bible commentary search on the Internet will turn up the Matthew Henry Bible commentary. The guy is a uh, standard. It's a good starting point. Um, he's a really, I, I think he's more on the Calvinist side of things. Uh, I haven't intentionally looked it up. Uh, but just my, my sort of cursory read as I uh, go through is as I've used his commentary over the years. Uh, it's in the public domain, so every Bible website has access to it. You can find it everywhere. Um, but the Matthew Henry Bible commentary, he's got the whole Bible on there, and he does a pretty pretty bang-up job thoroughly covering every single passage of the Bible. The, the guy's a champ. Um, of course, the I, I mentioned... Calvin's commentaries on the Bible. He doesn't have the whole Bible, but he's got almost all of it. He's got a lot of it. Uh, there's only a few books he's missing. And uh, his commentary is pretty solid as far as, you know, what is it we learn? His is more on the life application side. You know, what do we do? The so what of the text uh, when you're reading it. Or the connecting this passage to other Bible passages. Uh, you know, for a guy who couldn't just type a word into a computer, he is on the ball for um, where... These, uh, these other verses show up, or where these words or ideas or thoughts show up in other verses and things. Um, the other, another commentary that's a good, solid one is Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Uh, JFB, usually Jameson and, and the others will be cut off. This is a pretty liberal, like obviously liberal scholarship for the biblical text. Uh, they do uh, their their decent overview. It's a little shorter. It's not as in depth as Matthew Henry, and it is also in the public domain. So it's you're able to find it almost anywhere on the internet. Uh, and they they go through the entire Bible. Like I said, it's a little more brief than um, the the other stuff. Do 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 do. So. Uh, that's that, that's a good start. Uh, there's obviously hundreds of thousands. Oh, the pulpit pulpit commentary is the gold standard for pastors. 
Um, once again, you, you got to look up where they're coming from. What's the, the theological bias that that author or the publisher, if you, if you can't find a single author, some kind, I think a public commentary has multiple authors. Um, you just look up the publishing house. What is the publishing house, you know, statement of faith and figure out where they're at on things just so you know where they're coming from. So you, um, you, it helps you more intelligently make up your own mind. Uh, study Bibles, the two big ones, the Life Application Bible, that one's a little more recent. Uh, the older one is the Schofield Study Bible. Uh, the Schofield Study Bible is very doctrinally biased. It's his personal theology. And so, especially when it comes to end time stuff, he has a very specific end times outlook. Uh, it's, it's its own thing. So, you know, definitely dig around and look up, you know, Schofield Bible bias and You'll find you, you can find people on the internet that hate literally everything. So whenever you're trying to come into something critically, so you're going to think clearly and make sure that you have your own thoughts as you're reading something, um, it's always good to look up people who love and absolutely rave about something, uh, a commentary or whatever. Find the high notes that they say why it's good, and then find somebody who actually absolutely hates it, and read both of them and have both perspectives and then go into it and it helps you better form your own opinion on the things that they say. Um, do, 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 do. So that's that life application, Schofield, those are kind of the gold standard study Bible for like teens. There's some, some good teen study Bibles. Those tend to err more on the side of facts and you know what does this verse mean as you go back to high school the next day. And so they stay really kind of surface level on things and then they'll just beat some dates. Uh, and uh, a little minor history as far as this city is near this city, and here are some maps. Uh, do, 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 do. And then beyond that, the Thompson chain reference is really awesome. I, my personal favorite, not specifically a Bible item thing, and the, the Thompson chain reference isn't a Bible commentary, and it isn't a concordance. It's it's like a concordance of ideas. They, this guy took the time to cross-reference thoughts and trace ideas through the Bible, not specific words and phrases. So sometimes it'll be a phrase, other times it'll be an idea, the, the exact phrase of which is not explicitly written in the passage. And so it's fascinating. I have trouble finding a good digital version of the Thompson Chain Reference, though there, there are a few out there. I believe it is still copyrighted, so you are going to have to pay if you're going to get an online version of it, or if you're going to get an online, um, if you're going to get an online version of it, you'll it'll have to be something where like you have to have um, a uh, internet connection. You have to have an internet connection or something, you know, to um, to be able to access it. So that's, uh, I love the Thompson chain reference. I, I love it as a paper copy because you, if you're reading your Bible casually as, uh, as one should, should do from time to time just for enjoyment, you're, um, as you're coming around through, through the Bible, as you'll hit an interesting passage, you're like, oh, that's neat. Uh, is there a way to read more about this? Here's where the chain part comes in. It'll be a number. He uses another four-digit kind of numerical code, starting at, at zero and then going up to about four digits. of. Uh, it'll be in the, the margin. And maybe it'll say a phrase like, uh, fear of the Lord. You know, it'll have like, you know, fear of, 
fear of God, or the Lord is my salvation, of whom shall I fear? And then fear of God, little digit. And then sometimes there'll be multiple ideas in the same verse, and I'll have multiple numbers. And uh, for certain ideas, if you get it early enough in the Bible, you can follow it from Genesis through Revelation, the same idea through Scripture, to, to follow like a, like a chain, hence the name, all the way through the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, or well, you know, wherever it's first mentioned in you know, Leviticus or Exodus or something. And uh, so you, you look it up on the margin, it'll have the reference for the next time it shows up. So you, you find it early, it's usually downstream, sometimes you'll have prior and after. And so it'll be just chapter and verse if it's in the same book, and then it'll, be, uh, it'll have the abbreviation for the next book, uh, for the next book it shows up in, and then chapter and verse. So you can, you can turn, and from passage to passage to passage to passage, follow idolatry, or the love of God, or forgiveness, or mercy, straight through the Bible, jumping through and finding the verse that it's mentioned. And then, I, once again, don't read the verse out of context. Read the most of, or if not the entire chapter it's in. Um, I, would, I would suggest you read the whole book, and then that verse will make sense in a a larger context of that book. And then each book makes sense in a larger context of the Bible as a whole and all of the books together. Uh, so talks to chain reference is awesome. I love it. Now, what do you do with these commentaries, right? What, do you just read them? I, I like viewing the commentaries as a roadmap. And uh, what I mean is this. I always want to look at the Bible first for myself. I want to dig up and I want, I want to read the passage for myself without any uh, prior bias. I just want to read it. What is my first impression? You know, read it in context. Read the whole book. Read the chapter that it's in. Maybe the chapter before or the chapter after that the, the particular passage you're having trouble wrapping your head around is in. Uh, because sometimes just doing that, you go, oh, I get where he's coming from. And you just keep moving. You don't need to go any further. Um, but then when you're still confused... After having read it all the way through, that's when you're going to start looking at these auxiliary um, things. You know, maybe the Greek word has a few other meanings that might help clarify what the author was thinking when he wrote this verse. Uh, maybe some smarter people than I am have read this verse in the past and also didn't know what it meant. And so they've argued over it, and I can benefit from reading those conversations over history. And uh, most passages that there's some contention over... They almost all of them have about three best guesses for what it could mean. And honestly, there's no possible way of knowing which of those three is right. You take the one that fits your personal theology the best, and it, it makes the most sense for you with the way you read the rest of the Bible and the way that it all fits. Because ultimately, you're responsible for your salvation. It's between you and God. So you should read your Bible and have your understanding of what the scriptures say and mean. And then make sure that you're not just way out in left field and heresy when you look at the rest of scriptural. So when you read a commentary, it shouldn't be like, well, this guy's all wrong. He, you should have several points where you agree with them. And then you get to a point of contention where you go, ah, I don't like how he handled that passage. I think he's compromising his intellectual integrity here and here. And here's why. And I think other verses inform. You should be able to do that. You're not going to get there overnight. This isn't magic. You're not going to download it into your brain from the matrix. It's a process. Uh, the Holy Spirit will reveal some things to you, and the rest is just going to be blood, sweat, tears, and elbow grease. You're, you're going to have to earn it 
by reading and doing the legwork. You read your Bible, and then you're going to have to read multiple commentaries and see what different people think about a passage, and then you still won't know what to think. You'll have to pick one of them that goes, ah, I guess this is close enough and fits everything else I see in Scripture, and then just put it in a, it goes from the I don't know box to a maybe box. Um, this certain box will almost never have anything besides Jesus Christ and Him crucified in it and risen from the dead. And then so slowly you'll put things into the I'm certain box, and then occasionally you'll have to take things out and put them back into the maybe box, or heaven forbid, from the maybe box into the I don't know box. And, uh, you know, when you're really having a bad day, you take stuff out of the I'm certain box into the I don't know box, and you just, you, you shuffle ideas back and forth between the maybe, I don't know, and I'm certain boxes in your, your theological roadmap. So I like using commentaries and uh, study Bibles as, uh, as a roadmap. If I have a map of Los Angeles, um, I would burn it because I don't want to go there. The city is replete with sin. Um, <laughs> if I have a map of Toledo, I can hold up that map and I can point to somebody and say, this is the city of Toledo. Nobody lives there. It's a piece of paper with lines on it. There are two different things. The city of Toledo is a large patch of dirt with concrete and asphalt on it where people live. That's Toledo. That's the city of Toledo. And you could probably make an argument for a more accurate definition being a combination of those people and that dirt. Because if you move all of those people off of the dirt in mass... Now, which is the city of Toledo? Is it the people that embody the spirit of Toledo, or is it the dirt? I don't know. But those people, together with that dirt, we can all agree is the city of Toledo. And so if I have a map of Toledo, it's not Toledo, but it represents where Toledo is at, and it helps me navigate my way around Toledo. I can know what to expect. I can understand where places are. And I can get different maps of Toledo. I can get maps that are just the roads. I can get maps that don't have any of the roads, and it's the topography of the shape of the hills. I can get a real estate map that tells me where all of the lots are for the the purposes of like mortgage and property rights and stuff. Um, I can I can get a map of just the zip codes or just the the area codes for the phone number. I can have all kinds of different maps, and they all describe Toledo. They all describe different aspects of Toledo. And none of them are Toledo. It's a roadmap. And that's how I look at commentaries. That's how I look at study Bibles. Is there tools for me to understand the Bible? They are not the Bible. But they're helpful lenses. I can filter the Bible through to understand it a little better. Because the Bible is this giant, massive, complex idea box that you spend the rest of your life understanding. And it, they're all little, simple parts. But when those all those simple parts get together and move, and then you you try using them in your life, it starts to get a little complicated and a little fuzzy. And so that's where commentaries can help you pull out, uh, get get your, wrap your brain around some of those little parts moving together and go, oh, this isn't one crazy thing. I've got about five simple things here that all work together to make this one circumstance that is a little more confusing. Um, So that's, that's it. That's all I've got for you today. That's what commentaries and study Bibles are. They're a roadmap to help you understand the Bible. And they are written by men, but they are smart men who've been around longer than you have, who've read more than you have, and they know a lot of stuff. But that doesn't mean that they're 100% correct. It means 
they're pretty good at what they do. So take that, take everything with a grain of salt, and you need to make up your own mind. Just don't take everything that John Calvin wrote or everything that you read in Jameson, Fawcett, or Brown and say, this is the Bible, because it's not. Oh, I forgot one more. Is uh, A great one is J. Vernon McGee. He's, uh, he's a more Calvinist and um, um, has a lower emphasis on like miraculous things. He does a radio show called Through the Bible, that you can find, and it's it's all how to apply the Bible to your life. He'll occasionally get in the weeds on some deeper theological things, but it's almost 100%, how does this verse help me know in life? How does this help me tomorrow when I go to work? And it's awesome. And they've got some stuff that'll help you for um, moving around between... Uh, uh, they've got stuff is on notes and in audio file. So dig into that. That's all I've got for you today. Never take my word for it. I'll see you next time. Godspeed.